Police, they will be able to uh, organise that for you if you would like to uh, have one. So we're going to be continuing our series uh, on Transform Life this morning and I'm going to be speaking with the heading Eternally Blessed. So that's my heading this morning. I'm going to move this around slightly. About 10 days ago, uh, there was a record set and it was the record for the highest amount that was paid out under the Euro Millions to a UK ticket holder. And it was 184 million pounds. That is a remarkable amount of money, isn't it? Now, what's interesting, I think, about that was that uh, on the morning that the numbers were released, uh, the couple who were the winners, uh, he got up at 5.15, as he normally did, and he looked at his phone and it said, you're a winner. And he put his phone away and he went downstairs and he did what he normally did and he uh, looked after his dogs, let them out, fed them, did all the things that he would normally do. And he looked again at his phone and he thought, oh, just and he opened up the message and it said, you're a winner, you've won 184 million pounds. <laughs> Can you imagine what that felt like? His wife was still asleep in bed and so he waited a couple of hours until she woke up, and then he said to her, I've got a secret to tell you. We've won 184 million pounds. Now, when he was feeding his dogs, he was a millionaire. They didn't know it. When his wife was asleep in bed, she was a millionaire. She didn't know it. It wasn't until he opened that message and he realized, but even in that moment, he hadn't got any money. He had a ticket, and it wasn't until a few days later he submitted that ticket, and then Camelot went through the whole process of was it fraud, was it this, was it that, is it okay, is it authentic, until eventually, yes, it was determined it was authentic, and the money was then released to them. I want to come back to that uh, in a little while. How have you been doing with your memory verse this week? Uh, in reading through uh, transformed life. Now, this is a verse, Ephesians 1 verse 3, that I've known for many years, but I've known it in a slightly different version. So I need to start with the right word, otherwise it all goes horribly wrong. So should we give it a go? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Is that about right? I don't know whether I was right or not, but it's sort of how I know it. So well done if you, uh, if you remembered that. Now, I don't know whether it's right to look at a verse of Scripture and say, what's the most important word? But I do that sometimes, and I look at that verse, and I think the most important word is every. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can you believe that? It's absolutely amazing. Can you imagine going to your bank with a cheque for 184 million pounds and saying, I'd like to pay this in, please. And the bank manager says, oh, I'm sorry, there's not enough room. Unlikely, I think. Uh, but at the moment, you cannot add anything. Even God cannot add anything to your spiritual bank account. 
It is absolutely full. You know, when we start our Christian journey, uh, on the day we become a Christian, we're sort of full of that euphoria and it's all exciting and new things. And it's not until a little bit later that we begin to understand the love of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God. And even when we hear those things, it's like, oh, I don't, I'm not sure I fully appreciate this. And gradually, we begin to appropriate those things in our lives. And it's like those people who were millionaires, but they didn't know it. When you become a Christian, all these things are available to you, but you don't really know it. And then as you begin to understand a little more and a little more, you, you get it in your head, but it's not sort of worked out in your life. How did you react when we introduced the theme of transformed life? Did you think, oh, great, yeah, this sounds interesting? Or did you think, I don't know, I'm not so sure about that. Transformed life, that sounds a bit challenging. I'm not sure I like the sound of that. What do I have to do? You know, that's often the thing, isn't it? And, you know, we even introduced a couple of questions for life group, didn't we? What has God said to you? And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and it can feel a bit like, oh, gosh, I've got to do something. But, you know, one of the amazing things about Ephesians, this passage that we're looking at, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that it's not a to-do list. It's a God-has-done list. It's not something that you've got to do. It's what God has already done. And that is amazing. Now, there may be things for you to do, and there may be changes that you make. But I want you to imagine it as if you've just been given 184 million pounds. And you think, I'm probably going to have to make a list of the things that I'm going to spend it on. I don't know, it's a bit of a pain, really. And I suppose it might, it might just change my life. I suppose, a bit of a nuisance, it might. You, don't th you wouldn't think that way, would you? You'd be thinking, wow, I, 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 in case I forget, I'm going to make a list of all the things that I want to do with this money. And yes, it might change my life. I'm now going to be able to support things and give to people. And those projects I'd heard about that, wow, I've never been able to contribute towards now, I'll be able to transform them completely. I want you to imagine that is what is happening or that is what has happened to you because you have a very full spiritual bank account. So we're going to be looking at five blessings that uh, are available to us under the heading eternally blessed. And they reflect what God has done for us in the past. They reflect something of our present blessing. And we're going to be looking at some future stuff as well. Past present and future in relation to being eternally blessed, which is a bit funny when you mix up time concepts and eternity concepts, but there you go, that's life, isn't it? So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and the passage is uh, from verse 3 through to verse 14, so there's quite a bit 
to go through. And those five things that we're going to be looking at, I'm going to look at the first couple in a little bit more detail. And then I'm not going to skip over the others, but perhaps spend less time on them. So let's read uh, Ephesians 1 from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I've reverted to my New American, so it'll be slightly different to what you may know. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So point one from verse four is, I am chosen. You may have heard that phrase earlier. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, scientists would say that everything began with a big bang and, you know, that it all developed from there and gradually things over millions and millions of years, uh, we got to where we are now. And for many years, they never talked about what caused the big bang. But I've noticed over recent years, there's been some conversation started, well, what happened? What caused? What was there before that started the Big Bang? Now, we may not believe that. We may believe that God created the heavens and the earth. But what was God doing before he created the heavens and the earth? Now, you may have heard the phrase, well, he was thinking about you. And, you know, that is true but what does it conjure up in your mind do you see god sort of scrolling through an heavenly ipad of trillions and trillions of people and going swipe left swipe left swipe right swipe right you know it's not a particularly helpful image is it 
Now, I don't know whether you've ever watched the program Grand Designs with Kevin McLeod, where he follows people who are building their own house. And they will start with where they want it to be. And it may be in some secluded area. It may be in some open space. It may have a wonderful view. It may be on a clifftop overlooking the sea. But they know exactly what they want, what they've got in mind. And then they, they dig the foundations, but they're digging them according to their plan, how they want their house to be. And so it's in the right place, the right setting. It's, you know, if they want to look out over the sea or over a view, they, they've got the windows in the right place and they've set it correctly. And they start to build and they work it out and they've got everything in the right place. It's not like when Liz and I bought our house. We, it would, they'd extended previously and they'd done it according to the way they wanted it. And we moved in and it didn't quite fit us. And so, you know, we knock down a wall and we block up a door and we open another doorway and we made this passageway and, and there's still bits of it that don't, you know, it doesn't quite fit. You know, it doesn't feel exactly perfect for us. It's not like that. When you build your own place, it's exactly how you want it to be. You know, and if I drill a hole in the wall, I have to think, oh, crumbs, I wonder if there's wires there or, or pipes or something. You know, when you've built the house yourself, you know where everything is. You know where all the wires are because you put them in place. You know exactly how it should be. And that's how I imagine God, when we use that phrase, he chose us. He chose us by design. He made us. So there are various scriptures that we can read that refer to God putting us together. But it's, that, it's more than just putting us together. It's that whole concept of design. It's preparation and planning. Let me read a couple of verses that refer to it. In Jeremiah, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There's that sense of detail. And Psalm 139 is, is, is a sort of go-to, isn't it, in relation to this. Let me just read you a few verses from there. For you were created... Sorry, start again. For you created my innermost parts... You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely or fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, so my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my formless substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Isn't that amazing, that whole concept of God designing us with purpose? Now, I'm, I'm the fourth child uh, in our family. My parents had four children, and there's five years from my brother to me. And my parents are quite clear that I was a surprise. But I was no accident. Because God planned that before the foundation of the world. God choosing us was a grand design. And not just, you know, how we look and how we're sort of put together. But location, family, upbringing, education. In fact, everything about you is by his design. Now let's look at purpose. 
Let's look at those words, holy and blameless. Holy is a word I think is often misunderstood, a bit like Tim was talking about saints, you know, last week. You know, you think of saints as, you know, images and, you know, a preparation and a process. No, 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 it's, it's all of us if we've responded uh, to the gospel. And you can think of it sometimes, it's hard not to, as better than others. You know, that holier than thou. That's, a, that's how perhaps the world would understand it. Or you may have used the phrase set apart. I don't find that particularly helpful because it conjures up an image in my mind of sort of sitting on a shelf, waiting. Or I feel like I'm a, a substitute in the heavenly game of life on the sidelines, you know, waiting to take part. I'm set apart. Actually, I think a better phrase is separated from sin. In our character, we are now godlike. Now, you might say, separated from sin, you don't know what I'm like. You know, you don't know what goes through my mind. Now, before we became a Christian, we're told that we were dead. And we don't go, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I wasn't. No, I was alive. I was walking around. I was talking. I, I went to school. You know, I, did I wasn't dead. Don't be ridiculous. We accept it, don't we, as, no, no, that we were spiritually dead. We were separated from God by our sin. And we recognize that. So when we're born again, when we're now a new creation in Christ, we're separated from sin by God. And we... we Sort of, we go, no, no, I'm not sure about that because there's still sin in my life. But we were quite happy to accept that we were dead. You know, you, you can't have one without the other. The two go together. And it's what God has purposed before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. And we may struggle to accept because we know we do still sin. But we still live in the flesh. And this is what Paul identified in Romans 7. He had the same problem. He says this, For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I don't want. And it's like, yes, I recognize that. I see that. But it, it doesn't change who we are in Christ. Now, God is working on those things in us. He's, you know, he's gradually helping us. It's called sanctification. But it's not a process so that, you know, the moment before we die, we're practically perfect. We just about made it until we step into heaven and go, yeah, I was made perfect. No. On that day, when we die, we will be given a new body to match the new spirit that we received when we were born again. So that is how we are holy and blameless, chosen to be that by design. Let me move on to point two. Blessing two. I am 
adopted from verse 5. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Now, we need to clear up a little misunderstanding here. Some translations, and yours, you may have read it as we were looking at this, after the word sons, add and daughters in italics, as if Paul has somehow made a mistake. He's forgotten that actually women can become part of the family of God as well, and we need to add it in. No, that's not what he was talking about. Paul is not excluding women by saying that. Nor is he, at this point, talking about us being adopted into the family of God. A better translation is adoption of sons. And it's, it's, it doesn't read so well, but would have been really well understood in the Roman world because then, if you were a son, you inherited. And the reality was, if you were a woman, you didn't. If you were a daughter, you didn't inherit. You only inherited as if you were a son. And you could have been a son by birth or a son by adoption, but by being a son, you inherited, you were an heir. It's not like that in God's family. In that sense, we are all sons. Now, I know that's hard. Well, I don't fully know how that's hard for a woman to understand. And you want to say, I'm a daughter. And yes, you are a daughter of the king, but you're adopted of sons. It's, it's an adoption bringing an inheritance. You're an heir of God as a result. And that is what Paul is trying to convey here. So by adding and daughters, it actually diminishes the meaning of it. It lessens it. And I understand why you would perhaps want to read it that way, but try not to, because it, it misses the point. And our adoption, yes, we are part of the family of God. We're all part of the family of God. Our adoption into that family is that we all become heirs with Christ. Paul picks this up in a couple of places, in Romans and in Galatians. In Romans, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, not sons, but children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise but we don't become one sort of amorphous mass when we become a Christian. We will get lumped in together and mixed up like a jelly and we all come out formed exactly the same, all slightly different colour to what we were before, all mixed up and all the same. No, we keep our identity. You know, if you were born in England, you're English. If you were born in France, you're French. And that's where God put you. Do you remember what we said? Chosen by design. That's what he has done. And if you're male or female, that's what he has done. That's what he's made you. But it's quite the opposite. 
that actually we retain our identity, but we become heirs with Christ. And I find this amazing, that the phraseology here is that we're heirs of God. We're not heirs of Christ. You know, you'd somehow think that, you know, he, he's above us. But it talks about he's, we're like brothers and sisters with Jesus. We're on the same level. Can you believe that? It's absolutely amazing. This is what God has done for us in adopting us into his family. There's no hierarchy. We're at the same level as Jesus, chosen by design, heirs by adoption, all predestined in eternity past. And that they are the aspects of the past. And I'm going to look at something more present now, which has already also been mentioned this morning. My point three is I am free and forgiven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And you get a sense of the lavish grace of God as we look at these things in more detail. You know, God may have had a plan in the past, but there was a problem. We were dead. Nobody chose to say, no, I wasn't. We were dead. We were in darkness. We were bound in chains of sin. And I think it's hard to grasp sometimes what has happened to us if our conversion testimony is fairly ordinary. Now, Nathan mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when he got baptized. He said, well, I, I sort of I feel like I've always been a Christian. You know, it's like there was no one moment. And a bit like me, you know, when I became a Christian, I was about 13, 14. I wasn't particularly bad. I wasn't particularly good. And I carried on being not particularly bad. You know, it didn't feel like there was this huge transformation that went on. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. He goes by the name of Santino Hamberis, which I think is a lovely name. He's Greek uh, by origin. And he was an elder in Hastings when we were down there. And then he and his family moved to Manchester to be part of the church there. This is his testimony. And this is still on the Manchester website. 20 years or so later, since he became a Christian, he says, I came to faith in Jesus when I was 25 on an Alpha course and experienced the love and mercy of Jesus that completely transformed my life. In a moment, he set me free from years of drug abuse. That was his, he was completely addicted to drugs. The day, the moment, the second he gave his life to Jesus, that addiction disappeared. Gone. No desire for drugs whatsoever from that moment on. So his freedom is tangible every day. And the fact that we may have that major impact when God introduces us to Jesus or you know, like Nathan and me, it's a, a bit more, you know, mundane. In Christ, we are freed 
from every bondage, whether it's physical, emotional, psychological, even from our biggest problem, separated from God by sin. We are freed from that. The God who chose us by design to be holy and blameless had a plan to fix the problem. In Christ, we are forgiven. Now, maybe you don't feel very free or very forgiven. I thought Rosemary's testimony last week that um, came up again this week showed that the truth is the truth. And it's our thinking, it's our actions that need to change. You know, she talked about her experience and how difficult it was and how it affected her life. But the moment you get presented to the truth, it's you that has to change because the truth is the truth. We need to respond more like millionaires because our spiritual bank